And I'm going to read from uh, the book of John, uh, from chapter 20, sentence 1 through to 29, the account of Jesus' resurrection and the witnesses to it. John chapter 20, sentence 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had, had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that, uh, that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails, and I place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of God. I would say, when I was younger, I used to really uh, enjoy my birthday. I still do a little bit, but you know, it's a day where you get all these presents, 
Um, you have a party for yourself. Your parents take you to Wonderland or Pizza Hut All You Can Eat, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, it's a, or 10-pin bowling, bumper bowling, whatever it is. It's a great time. But as you get older, your birthday reminds you of just how old you are. You're getting a bit grayer, silver fox. Um, and, uh, but it just feels like another day, doesn't it? Well, you're still going to go to work and still going to earn money, and just, it's your birthday, so you feel even more let down by it. Um, who would say that Christmas Day is their favorite day of the year? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, baby over here. Okay, great. Um, Christmas Day, the birth of Jesus, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, again, you get presents, fun, food, or what a day. But as you, get, as you get older, I feel like I'm like a grumpy old man, don't I? As I get older, you've got to navigate families, which person's house do you go to, traveling from, from, uh, from event to event to event, dragging your kids along for 12 hours straight. It can get a bit, uh, a bit full on. And for some of us, Christmas can remind us of family we don't have or wish we did have. Other favorite days could be the first day of holidays. I love holidays, but I don't know about you, um, and maybe it's my worrying personality, I think overthink it, because for me, I look forward to a holiday, but the first day reminds me that it'll end soon. That's why I'm caught in this loop of like, I want to enjoy it, but I can't because it's going to end soon, and so I'm like, oh, yeah, I I don't enjoy it at all. And so uh, the day is ruined for my fears and worries. I want to say that Easter Sunday, I'm going to try and show you why I think Easter Sunday is the best day of the year. Not because of the long weekend or because you get chocolates or, uh, or hot cross buns, but I want to say because of what it achieves or what it means for us, for humankind forever. And for the next 25 minutes, I want to walk you through Easter Sunday, taking you back to the very first Easter and showing you what it means for us. I want to show you the hope and the freedom and life that is yours because of Jesus' resurrection. So let's go back there. It's the very first Easter Sunday. But I want to try and focus on just one person in the story. There's so many events happen in this story, in this narrative. I want to focus on just one person. That person's name is Thomas. And you might know him as Doubting Thomas. This poor guy, if everyone knows Doubting Thomas, one mistake he makes, Doubting Thomas. It's just branded forever. Uh, anyway, let's have a look at Thomas in the story of Easter. We're going to walk through John 20, looking through Thomas's eyes. Thomas was one of the 12 that Jesus called to follow him, and he responded and followed. And throughout the gospel accounts, you don't really hear much of Thomas until really the resurrection. Now, I just think for a second, try and put your mind or try and put your, put your thoughts to being one of Jesus' followers back then. Pretty much every day for three years following Jesus. And you'd have seen some pretty incredible stuff. You would have seen Jesus healing a bunch of people, making lame people walk, giving sight to the blind. Um, you would have seen casting out demons, healing the sick, walking on water, calming storms, fronting up to religious leaders and challenging them with power and authority. These 12, these young, these, uh, the 12, they were quite young, probably teenage boys, or a little bit older, would have followed Jesus for, for three years and seen a front row seat to the power of God at work. That's what they would have seen. But as it got to the end of these three years, seemingly out of nowhere what happens is one of the 12, one of their best friends, Judas, betrays Jesus and turns the whole thing on its head. Jesus is then arrested, he is tried, and he is killed by being hung on a cross, treated like a criminal. Now, just trying to get your mind around what it would have been like for one of those 11. Now, they were convinced who Jesus was, and that he was, they were following him, they were all, and they gave up, give up jobs, give up their livelihood, and go and follow Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he's dead. They believed that he was the king to save them, and now he is dead. Their heads would have been spinning, they would have been confused, frightened, and wondering if they would be killed too. 
Now, they had not listened or really understood when Jesus had told them that he was going to die on, on a few occasions for the sins of the world and rise again. They hadn't really computed that yet. And so his death for them was absolutely confronting. It was overwhelming for them. And they were confused and scared. And we read in John 20, 19, the disciples were hiding in a locked room, fearful of what would happen to them. But then that sort of triggered these strange events happening. On the screen you see in John 20, 18, 18, that Mary runs to the disciples proclaiming that she's seen Jesus alive. We read early in the chapter Jez read for us that she had seen Jesus alive, that he had appeared as he said he would. But I'm sure on hearing this, many of the followers weren't convinced. They just thought Mary might have been out of her mind with grief or stress or worry and she had seen something that she'd wanted to see. It wasn't real, it was driven by her grief. But then, uh, but then we see the more uh, strange events keep happening. Later in the day, Peter too announces that he had seen Jesus. Then Cleopas says, I also walked with Jesus today on the Emmaus Road. But through all this, Thomas is very, very skeptical. Thomas does not want a bar of it. He's not up for this at all. He knows that dead people don't rise from the dead. As much as he wants to see Jesus alive, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Thomas is saying this is not going to happen. Thomas is almost, almost filled with annoyance and grief and, and discouragement. He decides what he does is he decides to leave. He's had enough. The followers, the disciples are hanging out there. Jesus, Thomas says, I'm out for a bit. I need to go and clear my head. And he goes for a walk or whatever he does. Bad time to leave. And look what happens next. Sentence 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, Thomas is already gone. The doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Thomas has missed out. He wasn't there. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the grave, defeated death once and for all. And he appears to them to prove who he is. God in the flesh, the king. But Thomas has missed it. He's missed it. Then, later that night, Thomas comes back to the followers. And they're all joyful, having a great time. And Thomas is all depressed and sad and scared still. And they would be like, oh, Thomas, bro, you missed it. You missed it. Jesus is alive. He's risen. He was here. Now, Thomas, at this point, he could have believed his friends and said, wow, amazing, yeah, cool. Or he could have been Thomas and did this. Have a look at what he says instead. Now, Thomas was one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the, his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in, into his side, I will never believe. I would never believe. They're strong words. Thomas is saying, unless I physically see the resurrected Jesus and poke him, with my finger, and feel the wounds, I will not believe. No matter what you crazy people say, I'm not in for this, he's saying. He's adamant. He wants evidence. He's not going to be fooled or tricked. He's not a gullible idiot. Thomas does not believe that Jesus is alive and did not expect him to come back to life. In Thomas's mind, dead people stay dead. And that's what he's saying. But Thomas is in for a surprise. Just this week, my wife Katie and I decided to surprise our children. It's always great to surprise your kids. 
And uh, as many of you know, uh, I'm allergic to almost every animal known to man. Um, I sneeze when I see an ant. Um, no, I don't, but you know, it feels like that sometimes. My al- allergies have meant that I, we can't get pets, and uh, to my, much to my kids' disappointment. We've had a fish and a, and a mouse, but that doesn't count, does it, right? Like, you know, <laughs> what are they? Anyway, anyway, this week, Jez and Mel went away on a holiday, and they have a rabbit, and so they asked us to bunny sit, which is a thing, right? We bunny, we bunny sat, I guess. And um, they asked us, my kids were very excited because they could have a pet for three days. Um, now, before they, uh, before they went away, uh, to, uh, and uh, before we said yes to, to bunny sitting Jack, their rabbit, uh, we started talking about, Katie started convincing me, actually, let's get a rabbit. And so she slowly chipped away at me, and then she sealed the deal by showing me this picture. She's a sly fox, my wife, just chipping away, just, just trying to, you know, who would say no to that picture? Look how cute he is. It's like little Peter Rabbit, isn't he? Anyway, I said, okay, I'm in, as long as we get that rabbit. And we did. We've got, we, we have that rabbit. Look, right? That's our rabbit. We got it. Excellent, right? So anyway, we thought that, we thought we would surprise our kids. And, um, and so anyway, last Monday afternoon, Katie drove to get our new pet, and we thought we'd surprise the kids. So we said, uh, Katie said she should go into the shopping, buy some Easter eggs for the kids. Now, during that time, I was saying to the kids, do you like rabbits, guys? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, but you know we can never get one, right? Like, I'm, I'm allergic to animals, so I'm just trying to bait them and, you know, build the suspense, right? Like a good dad that I am. I'm saying, I'm too allergic, I can't. And then my, my son, Jet, said to me, Dad, I'll buy one with my own money. Like, I'm that committed. I said, that's so nice, buddy. We can't. I'm sorry, you know, just <laughs> crush your spirit. <laughs> anyway, Katie gets home with the rabbit, and we hide the rabbit behind the door. And uh, I sit the kids down and they're all serious. I say, now guys, each year um, when we get some money from our jackfruits, which we do, and it's jackfruit season anyway, it's a whole new story, which I'll tell later on. Um, when we get money from our jackfruit, you know, last year on a holiday, this year we've decided to expand our family. And we've decided to get a new member of our family. And so let me introduce you to our newest member. And I picked the rabbit up and I carried him in. And the best part was this, their response. And so my son Jet, he was... He just felt overwhelmed. He had to move. He had to jump. He had to get around. Like he, had to, he couldn't contain himself with excitement, which I love seeing. Uh, my middle daughter, Indy, she just sat there with her mouth open, like just in awe, like, what has happened to me? But I think the best response was my youngest little savvy. She just started crying. She just was so happy. She just let this squeal out. And I just, I thought, what is that noise? I looked over. I thought, has she hurt herself? She kicked her toe somewhere? And she's just squealing and just crying. And I'm just so happy. And um, it, was, it was a cool response. And as you see, there's our rabbit called Sky. Sky Mork is the new bunny in our family, right? But what I love was this surprise. It brought so much joy. It brought so much happiness to my little family. I love it. We read here in John 20, of, of, we're going to read here in John 20 of Thomas getting this amazing surprise, so much so that it brings him joy and it changes his life forever. His life is never the same when he meets the resurrected Jesus. Have a look at this. John 20, 26, 28. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. So he's there now with them, Thomas. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then it's like Jesus looked at Thomas and he went for him and he says this. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hand and put out your hand and place it in my side. 
do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. I don't know if you picked up there. Eight days. It's like Jesus left Thomas hanging for eight days. Just strung him out for a while. So they would have been having a great time for eight days. Thomas is still not believing. Eight days later, he appears. Stands there in the flesh among the followers. Now imagine at this moment what Thomas is thinking. What he's feeling. All his doubts, his frustrations, his sadness. Gone. Replaced with joy and happiness and jubilation. The surprise of his life. I'm sure he could hardly even breathe. And then Jesus approaches him personally. And he knows what Thomas has been thinking. And he says, put your finger here. See my hands. This is Thomas wanted to do. He said, unless I touch Jesus. He's like, okay, put, put your fingers here. Poke the wounds if you want to. And then he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. It's exactly what Thomas has been thinking and feeling. And in that moment, all objections and resistance have evaporated. Weeks of doubt and disbelief gone. What was Thomas's response? Well, probably through tears of repentance and relief and joy, he says to Jesus face to face, my Lord and my God, my King and my God. Here in this moment of clarity, probably the first time in weeks, he sees Jesus for who he is, his Lord, his King, and his God. The risen Lord Jesus, the one who has conquered sin and death and shown it by his resurrection. This resurrection verifies that death has been defeated and sin has been conquered. This moment, this surprising moment for Thomas, means that Thomas's life will never be the same again. If you know the story at all of church history, and you look at the book of Acts. What happens after the disciples meet the risen Lord Jesus? They go from being scared and fearful and worried for their lives, and it flips, and they go and are bold. They proclaim Jesus to a world that needs to know. They face death with almost a recklessness now, because they know where their home is. They know the resurrected Jesus has secured their place forever and eternity. They can live as free people proclaiming the, the kingdom of God to all people. And most of these followers were killed for proclaiming Jesus. They went from scared and hiding to bold and fearless. Why? Because they know the resurrected Jesus. And they, they have hope in that resurrected Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus changed Thomas' life forever. And I want to say the resurrection of Jesus changes everything for us here and now. And I love this account of Thomas. It shows that even though Thomas knew Jesus intimately, he knew him for three years. He didn't assume that Jesus would rise from the dead. He wanted to see for himself. He didn't want to be tricked or fooled. He wanted evidence. He wanted proof. And he got the surprise of his life and he exclaimed, my Lord and my God. He went from a doubter to believer and it changes Thomas's life forever. So what do we do? Sitting 2,000 years from that event, what do we do sitting up here? Because we cannot go and poke Jesus. We can't go and touch and feel the physical Christ. What do we do? How do we believe? We don't want to be gullible or have blind faith. So can we? What do we do? Well, I was going to take a few minutes now just to show you, just to show uh, to believe in the resurrection doesn't mean you have to have blind faith. God wants us to engage our minds. He wants us to think like Thomas. As I said, the resurrection of Jesus is, is fundamental, is crucial, it is essential to the Christian faith. No physical bodily resurrection, there's no Christianity, the Bible says. 
whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, this is worth looking into and being sure. I want to say this is the foundation of my faith. The resurrection of Jesus, the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of my faith, and it should be. So let me just quickly walk, to, uh, walk through uh, some evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to do a quick flyover, and there are so many books written on this. The book at the back, um, Tim Keller's Reason for God, chapters on this stuff. Let me start by saying that Jesus actually claimed he was going to die and rise again. He claimed it. It wasn't a fluke that it happened. He wasn't like, whoa, what happened to me? He actually claimed it, and it happened in Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, Luke 9, and Matthew 17, 22. Let me show you one of them, Matthew 17, 22 on the screen. Jesus says this, the Son of Man, so he calls himself the Son of Man from Daniel 7, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So here, before he's even dead, Jesus is saying, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm going to die and three days later, I'm going to rise again been argued maybe that, um, that how Jesus rose from the dead was maybe he didn't actually even die. Maybe that he was just on the cross, he passed out from pain or whatever it was, and then he woke up in the tomb, um, regained his strength, pushed the stone, and walked out and said, I'm alive. But if you figure this for a second, logically, that, that couldn't have happened. A couple of problems with this theory is that one, he was severely beaten. He was scourged. You know scourging is they get those those whips with rocks and, and hooks and he was flogged over and over again before he even went on the cross. Then on the cross, he had nails through his hands and his feet and then hung on the cross for three hours and to breathe, you pull yourself up on the nails to get air in your lungs and you die from suffocation. He was there for three hours. The blood loss would have been huge. The wounds would have been huge. There is no way after three days you could have recovered, woken up, pushed a stone away and said, I'm all good again. Secondly, the Romans were known for, for killing people well. They would have crucified thousands of people and they knew when someone was dead. And thirdly, the Gospels record that Jesus was steered to his side so that to show that he was actually dead. And reports were taken to Pilate that he was dead. So it seems pretty clear, if you look at the evidence stacked up, that he was dead. He actually died. He didn't just pass out. There's another argument that he's, the body was stolen maybe. That's how they sort of tricked everyone to saying the tomb was empty because the body was actually stolen. He didn't rise from the dead, it was stolen. But if you got that, then you've got to think about, well, who stole the body? Who was that? Um, it's often suggested it was the apostles or the followers. They were the leading suspects. But like I said before, almost every single apostle died a horrendous death for following and speaking about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's according, again, in church history of the massive persecution that broke out and the killing of Christians that took place after Jesus' death and resurrection. You've got to think, why would they go through all of this if they, would, they had stolen the body, if they, if they had made this big lie up? Why would they die for a lie? And surely one of them would have cracked and said, no, no, it was a joke, we stole his body. But none of them did. Not one of them. And how do you account for these, this cowardly group of people running and then turning to be bold and proclaiming this if it was a lie? We heard before they were, they were hiding away once they, Jesus was arrested and they turned around and then, and, and then went and became the foundation of the early church. So it doesn't really seem like the apostles stole the body. Maybe the Romans did. That could, be, that could be a theory. Well, the Romans wanted Jesus dead. They didn't want him to be seen to be alive again. They actually wanted him squashed because of the, the uprising he was causing. So there's no point for them to steal it. So maybe the Jewish people, well, same thing. They didn't want Jesus to be alive. They wanted him dead. There seems to be no point in them stealing the body. And as you weigh up the evidence and think hard about it and read on this, most logical seems to be that actually maybe Jesus did what he said he was going to do. 
and rise from the dead. There's, there's, there's a thought that maybe that all the people who saw Jesus hallucinated. Well, Jesus appeared to 500 different people in different places. That would be, have to be one gigantic hallucination, all seeing the exact same thing. And it seems to be probably you have to have more faith to believe that than the resurrection of Jesus, if you believe that. Also, you know, uh, if this story is made up, the first witnesses to the tomb were women. Now, back in this time, in the Bible's time, the testimony of women was admissible in court because w- women had a low social status in the community. So there's no advantage of making a story up using the, a woman as an eyewitness. There's a bunch of stuff. If you read on that and think on this, all the evidence seems to point towards maybe the resurrection's true. Maybe that it is real. And I want to encourage you, whether you know Jesus or not, have a look at the evidence. This is not a peripheral issue. This is not a side issue. If you're a Christian, be sure of this stuff. If you don't know, it's worth reading and thinking through. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Did he actually do what he said he was going to do? If he did, if he rose from the dead and conquered death like no one has done before or ever will again, then surely you've got to assess his claims. If someone can rise from the dead after three days, then surely he needs to be taken seriously and his claims need to be listened to. I think you can't believe that he rose from the dead and did nothing with that. The the consequences and implications are far too big. It's worth reading on and thinking on more. And if you want to read some more on this, please let me know. I'd love to help you out with giving you books and articles to read on this. But I think the resurrection of Jesus is fundamental and crucial to the Christian faith. But finally, so what if he rose from the dead? What does that mean for us? And I want to go back to where I, where I started, saying that, that Easter is the best day of the year. Approximately about two and a half, two and a half months ago, uh, my wife, Katie, found my mum semi-unconscious in her home. Katie called me over, and I went over to her house in Gladesville, and, and I also saw her semi-unconscious. We then called an ambulance to come over, and she was rushed to... Uh, uh, up, uh, Royal North Shore, I think, no, uh, Concord Hospital, where they quickly told us that she'd had a massive stroke and it was fatal and she wouldn't recover. She was placed in palliative care um, for on the, I think it was on the Monday, and my brother, sister, and I and Katie stood by her bed uh, for the whole week, almost uh, day and night, until she took her last breath on the Friday night. She died there. I want to say that death is confronting. Death is confronting. Watching someone you love struggle to get air into into their lungs and watching them slowly, slowly um, degenerate is not easy to see. I took my mum's funeral here about two months ago, standing here. I took my mum's funeral. It was my first funeral that I've led, and that was hard. Death seems so unnatural. It's an unnatural intruder. And none of us want to think about death, about dying or seeing loved ones that uh, we love die. But I know for me, when someone dies, like my my mum dies, when my dad die now, death confronts you. It gets up in your face and you don't know what to do with it. I've heard one author say, death is a stalker that pursues us as a vague presence. And although we like to ignore death in our culture, it doesn't go away. And one day, all of us will face it. We'll all face it. 
And a lot of our fears that we have in life are actually underpinned by fear of death, a fear of dying. And we don't have to do with it. You know, one writer in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, he writes in a book in 1 Corinthians 15, reflecting on the resurrection of Jesus. And he says the most amazing words. It's him on the screen. He says this, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Paul's right, death stings. It stings. It stung when my mum died and my dad died. It hurts. But Paul is saying here, where, O death, is your victory? Where is your power? Where is your hold over us? Where is your sting and hurt? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks of the resurrection of Jesus and lays out the implications of Jesus coming back to life again. And what we read here is that Jesus has conquered death. He has defeated it. It has no hold over us anymore. For those who trust in Jesus, death has lost its grip and has lost its sting. Jesus has beaten it and conquered it once and for all for those who trust in Christ. And death here and now, as C.S. Lewis says, is simply a doorway on into eternity. You know, the message of the Bible is this. All of humanity, all of us, have rebelled against our good God. None of us have loved him as as he's deserved or listened to him as we've been credited to. None of us have thanked him, in fact, We've all said to God, look God, I think I'll do my life my way um, and I won't live with much reference to you. In fact, I will just live as if you don't exist. You stay over there, I'll stay over here. The Bible calls this sin and we've all done this. And it's not about being a good person or a bad person or being nice or being kind or evil, whatever it is. It's about how we live in reference to our creator. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God being just says, well, you want it that way, you have it that way. And we are cut off from him because of sin. And God says the punishment for sin is death, and death is in this world, and we feel the consequences of our sin. And, we feel the, and there's also eternal death, cut off from God forever, which is hell. And God is just, and we want God to be just, and he punishes those who, uh, who have sinned against him, all of us. We are cut off and we are dead. And dead till we can't do anything. And we are hopeless. We can't do anything for ourselves. But God, out of his love for us, doesn't wash his hand of us. Even though we've said to him, I want nothing to do with you. Out of his great love for us. And this is the message and the hope and the, and the grace that is found in the gospel. This is the message of Easter. That God sends his one and only son on a rescue mission. Jesus comes to earth to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life. He always obeys God the Father. does everything the Father wants him to. And then he dies, which is Good Friday. And his death on the cross takes away our sin, our punishment for our rebellion in our place. And this amazing swap takes place. On the cross, what happens is, Jesus gets all my sin and rebellion and wrath of God poured out on him. And what I get is his perfect righteousness, his relationship with our creator. And this swap takes place. And I get it all. I've done nothing to deserve it. It's all by his love and his forgiveness. I'm granted that. I'm gifted that. And it's not, again, being a good person or a bad person or an evil person, whatever it is, this is a free gift for those who come to Christ. No matter who you are, what you've done, your background, your culture, whatever it is, this is a message for all people for all time. Jesus dies on the cross, but he doesn't stay dead. We, we celebrate today, the best day of the year, that he rose from the dead. As he said he would, he beats death. 
The punishment for sin is death. On the cross, Jesus defeats sin and raises to life. And through his death and resurrection, he restores our relationship with our creator, which we're made for. Yes, we die, die here and now, but those who trust in Jesus, we raise back to life, just like Jesus, our first fruits, our king. We follow him, and we follow him home. This is the message of the Bible. This is the message of Easter. This is the message of Jesus. This is the message that city like we desire for everyone to know. It's a message of good news, of love, of grace for all people for all time. And this means that now, no, that, uh, this means that now those who follow Jesus, because of the resurrection, our future is secure. Heaven is our home, and death holds no more fear anymore. We are free. We have a relationship with our Creator that's secured through the rest, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We are known, we are loved, we are cherished by our Creator. He loved us at our worst, meaning then He will love us forever, as we are now. And His love is not based upon our performance, it's based upon His character. We can trust it always. And we can have a real and living relationship day by day with Him. We can know our place, our purpose, we're part of a bigger story. And we can be assured of where we're heading. We can live as free, loved people because of the resurrection of Jesus. Hope you can see why Easter is the best day of the year. This is all ours through Christ. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Jesus has won, and today he's offering all of us, he's offering all of you freedom. Freedom from death and its hold over you. And the question is, just like Thomas, do we believe? Do you really believe? What a day to say to Jesus, I want this life. I want this life that you offer. You know, maybe you've been coming to church here for a while. Maybe you only come at Christmas and Easter. Whatever it is, we love that you were here. But why not say to Jesus today, I want this life. I want to know you want life in your son. Maybe you felt like you've been going through the motions as a follower of Jesus. That you just play church a bit, you come when you can. Why not today on Easter Sunday say to Jesus, I want more of you. I want to know you. I want to know the freedom and love that is found in you. Wherever you're at today, wherever you're at, why not make today the day where you understand and live in light of the resurrection of Jesus?